Aloha and welcome to the Woman on Fire podcast. I am Daniela Martinez and I, I'm here with our two other co-hosts. We got Jamie and we got Coral Estelle, who is adorable. I wish you could see her. <laughs> I'm into the screen. Yay, she's reading. She may have a few things to say today. She's skipping her nap to be a part of our podcast. Yeah, she's so dedicated and fired up. She's just ready. <laughs> future midwife in training we've got we've got a uh, updates today and and one of the great updates is that this baby is attending births oh whoa. she started out she has been attending births since she, since she was seven weeks old yeah <laughs> and and now she has completed her 10 observed births if she was going to be a cpm she has supported twins mom she supported a v-back mom she has supported a mom who delivered an over 10 pound baby she has supported a first-time mom delivering her breech baby at home oh look at you what a legend already i'm old. (laughs) amazing that is that's the apprenticeship way that's traditional midwifery that's the traditional way indeed that's the way learning from mom and the mommies (laughs) yeah learning from the mommies and that's (laughs) what we're here to talk about too is the update about traditional midwifery and apprenticeship model midwifery in um hawaii and our legislative update yeah let's get straight to that business super fun stuff (laughs) so legislative session you've heard us talk about this before in previous podcasts i think some of our first episodes were about this and probably every year since we've started even though it's been a couple years two three years that we've been doing this we've brought it up and here it is again it's that season and hopefully this can be the last year for a little bit (laughs) yeah right um but here's the updates of where we are so from the beginning, if you don't know anything about this, is that Carla Sells giving me a cute, funny face. Um, are you focusing? <laughs> um, so in 2019, Act 32 was passed, which is the current laws for midwifery licensure. And those were implemented in 2020. And in a nutshell, that law said that midwives can only be midwives and can only obtain licensure if they have gone through a MEEK accredited school as a means to acquiring their CPM, Certified Professional Midwife, credential. And that same law also stated that the legislators recognize that there's another category of providers that they called birth attendants and that they will be exempt for three years starting in 2020. Um, And that during that time, it was intended for uh, birth attendants to develop standards and 
regulations and definitions for themselves. Um, so here we are at the end of that three-year exemption period, almost the end. And this is the year where we have to pass something else in order to preserve birth attendance and um, another element. Let's see, I'm getting ahead of myself. I updated on Act 32, the law as it stands, uh, the exemption. And then where we are now, um, since we're at the end of that exemption period, we have House Bill 955, um, which is to help address some of the issues presented with the original midwifery law. Um, and it's really important we focus on House Bill 955 because we had a companion bill, which was Senate Bill 1047, and it's it's dead. It, it, it didn't get a hearing um, by the deadline, and so there's no way for that one to move along anymore. Um, so all our eggs are in House Bill 955, and um, Corlacel looks very eager to continue elaborating on. <laughs> <laughs> She's definitely still trying, to climb, <laughs> still trying to climb into the screen. The House bill is, um, and and the bill, the Senate bill, but the House bill, of course, we're focusing on not only addresses birth attendance, which is um, set to expire, the regulation of birth attendance is set to expire this July, but also it is to expand the option of licensure and making it more accessible to people in Hawaii um, because our current law only licenses make accredited CPMs unless you had completed your CPM before 2020 in addition to the bridge certificate. So I know this is a lot of jargon for folks who are not that familiar with um, how to become a CPM and whatnot. So, you know, we're, we're not necessarily going to dive too deep into that. However, the, the point is of, of recognition of the apprenticeship model is um, for two purposes. One, it makes it much more accessible for people living in Hawaii to actually get a CPM and therefore get licensed. And also the North American Registry of Midwives, NARM, they are the ones who have the, um, that give the certificate to CPMs by completing either the make accredited school or the apprenticeship model. And the they take the same exact exam. So why would Hawaii not recognize this, this pathway? So House Bill 955 um, makes it so the law also recognizes the apprenticeship model, which helps perpetuate um, traditional practices as well. So it, it allows an option for licensure for, um, for this other route. And it also uh, preserves the exemption for birth attendance. And the exemption, a lot of folks have thought that that means that like people are going to get away with just not being licensed and not like having any sort of accountability. But 
it actually is a regulation. It's a way to regulate midwives who, who don't necessarily um, align with licensure for one reason or another, whether it's cultural, spiritual, and whatnot. So it's not like the wild, wild west where, where midwives can still just do whatever they want and call themselves a midwife if they're not and things like that. So there is in the law already disclosure form that has been set forth by the DCCA, um, which is the Department of Consumer and Commerce Affairs. Um, and there are a lot of stipulations. Actually, the, the birth attendants have to disclose much more than a licensed midwife to those that they are providing services for um, through not only that disclosure form, but their own informed consent. And um, it has to be written and verbally discussed as well as a transport plan and various other things. So it's not that folks are going to be getting away with being dishonest. <laughs> okay. You brought up like 20 different things. things. Let's dive, <laughs> let's dive in. So let the disclosure form thing, which is the first thing or the last thing you brought up here. Um, yeah, that's a part that I'm not sure everyone knows about. So yeah, right. DCCA has provided a disclosure form that birth attendants are required to have signed, right? They're required to orally and in writing disclose that to the people they're working with and um, have it written here. It's like six different things that the um, disclosure form requires be addressed. And I'm trying to find my list, Tara. Well, one of them is the birth attendants training and education. Two is that they're not licensed by the state and that they're training hasn't been verified by the state. Um, I want to get the language just right. I kind of remember it off the top of my head, but I want to get it just right. Because um, one of the concerns is that people are midwives from other places, have lost their licenses in other states, have had bad outcomes, and they're just coming out here where they can just practice without and just kind of leave their they can run from their past and their messy records and then come practice here no one knows who they are but one if they try to get a license here they have to disclose that information and two if they try to practice as a birth attendant right part of what they have to disclose is it says here um they have to disclose any judgment, award, disciplinary, sanction, order, or other determination that a judges or finds that he, she committed misconduct or was criminally or civilly liable for conduct relating to midwifery by a licensing or regulatory authority, territory, state, or any jurisdiction. And I wanted to read that whole thing because like, that's incredibly thorough of like, <laughs> it's not just like, you know, if someone filed the complaint through one organization, it's like, it's so many it's encompassing so many different avenues that someone could have had um something brought up against them in their past um in regards to midwifery so that has to be disclosed so they they can't be hiding that stuff right um they have to 
create a transport plan. They have to disclose that they're not allowed to carry, acquire, administer, or direct others to administer legend drugs. And I believe I covered it all. Yeah. So those main points have to be addressed. Okay. Those all of that is in the disclosure form present, uh, which is provided by TCCA and TCCA is in charge of enforcing these regulations. So folks are concerned, like, well, there's no regulations, birth attendants can just do whatever they want. And it's like, well, no, those are the specific parameters for them to abide by. So there's that piece. Um, what else did you bring on? Ooh, NARM support. What? Okay. So, right, NARM, they are the ones that give out the CPM credential for people. And it's that national CPM credential, uh, which is the requirement for licensure at the moment, but only if you've acquired it by going through an accredited school, right? However, they support this bill. NARM supports House Bill 955 because they also support the PEP pathway, which is a portfolio evaluation process where individuals can go through an apprenticeship and they have to acquire the same amount of births and prenatals and postpartum appointments and newborn exams and then get all the same skills signed off on. They have to acquire all the same numbers and experiences as someone who went through a school and they take the exact same national exam and acquire the exact same CPM credential at the end of their, their training um, as someone who went through a MEEK accredited school, right? So I wanted to point out that in 2018, there was um, some rumors that NARM wasn't gonna support this PEP apprenticeship-based pathway anymore. And the rumors were circulating so much that they had to make a public statement about just addressing it saying like, hey, that's not true. <laughs> so I'm gonna read it real quick. Um, they sent it out as an email to everyone and posted it on their website. It said, NARM supports the portfolio evaluation process, exclamation point. Um, yeah, it basically just says there's rumors that we're gonna get rid of the PEP pathway and these rumors are false. Um, NARM is committed to maintaining the PEP and the apprenticeship model of CPM training. Current states that permit the PEP route to CPM credential will continue to do so unless their regulations change, um, right? I mean, one thing is what regulate um, legislators do. Another thing is what NARM actually supports, right? Um, so I've been communicating with them recently and they continue to support this pathway. People can still access their CPM credential that way. Um, Not well, only do they support the PEP process, but they also support an alternative, which is the traditional birth attendant. So even though they are a regulating certifying body for, for somebody's got something to say about it, um, for CPMs, but they also recognize the roots and where midwifery comes from and that erasure of traditional practices through um, one body right? One regulatory board or body is not okay. 
And so they are in support of, of course, both of their pathways towards CPM, which in, in many places has become the standard for licensing. But they also are acknowledging that the roots come from traditional practices and that many traditional practices are at risk of extinction at this point. And so they really want to um, help provide uh, protection for that as well. Oh, Gamey. Okay, I was reading this book the other day. It's in Spanish. It's about traditional midwives of Latin America. And, oh, oh you know the kind of book like every single sentence is fire. So you got to highlight every sentence. <laughs> I like to highlight a lot. So I like everything that's important, I'll highlight it, but it's like, I'm highlighting the whole book. <laughs> it's that kind of book. Um, and there was one sentence in particular that really oh, like just struck me so hard. And I'm going to do my best to translate it. It, it sound, It's a little more eloquent and sharp in Spanish, but in English, it's something to the effect of, are traditional midwives disappearing or are they being disappeared? <laughs> oh, translating so hard, but right. It's like, are they just disappearing randomly or is there someone or something actively pushing their disappearance, right? And we know it's the latter right? We even have that letter, which maybe we should link on here, you know, um, where it was from ACNM addressing the history of midwifery and how ACNM played a role in the systematic <laughs> disappearance of traditional midwives of driving them out. And it was an apology letter. That was the whole point of it. And, you know, I, I have compassion. I'm not saying that all CNMs are, you know, are actively doing that right now. If you're a CNM, like this, this isn't a personal attack on you. Um, it's just the roots of the intersect where, you know, traditional midwives met medical providers. The reality is the medical providers learned a lot from traditional midwives and then kind of left traditional midwives in the in the dust and, um, it's kind of what's still happening. Find them, jail them, criminalize them, which is still happening today. And it's under the, the guise of safety. And, you know, we've had a few different podcasts talking about safety, um, but it is really the, the, con the control of the industry. Um, and... You know, I, I also just wanted to touch on this because I think that it's really interesting because, okay, well, they have released this letter. ACOG has released an acknowledgement as well in regards to obstetrics being built on the backs of the midwives. Um, and, and yet, you know, a letter of apology is one thing, but let's, um, let's take some action. And that is what we are trying to um to move forward with is okay the acknowledgement is nice but um but it means nothing if there's no action taken on it bingo absolutely 
the other day I said something like, you know, we see these awesome t-shirts, right? It's like people are really utilizing that as a way to communicate these epic messages nowadays. And I love it. Um, but it's like, okay, we need more than just a t-shirt though. <laughs> At this point, we need the action piece. Like, great. I love it. Decolonize birth is the big one. Right on. We need the allies that can now walk the talk. This is a time to make historical um, adjustments to our legislators. So Yes, so decolonizing birth, we're all, we're on that path. Um, okay, maybe I'll bring it back to my notes. So we mentioned that the original midwifery law exempted birth attendance for a three-year period, right? Um, and some folks have said that well, we're at the end of the three-year period, so it was a grace period for these birth attendants to go to school and meet the requirements of licensure. So if they haven't done it by now, well, that's on them because they were given more than enough time to catch up with the law. And it's like, hold up a second. That's not what the point of that three-year period was. So I'm going to go ahead and read directly from... Um, that Act 32 from three years ago, which clearly says what the intention of the three-year period was. All right. This act also exempts a separate category of birth attendance for a three-year period to allow this community to define themselves and develop common standards, accountability measures, and disclosure requirements. By the end of the three-year period, the legislature intends to enact statutes that will incorporate all birth practitioners and allow them to practice to the fullest extent under the law. Crystal clear. That is what the law says. So those who made the law should probably obey the law. <laughs> Can we put this on t-shirts? <laughs> Show up to the Capitol. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're trying to, I guess, remind people of. It's funny to be in the position of like, wait, did you guys forget what you wrote into the law? Like, let us help you remind you. Because I get it. Everyone's busy. They got a lot of different bills, so many pressing issues. Everything's urgent. It's a lot to keep up with. So, so well, like and aside from everybody's like rationale and reasoning for not doing it or for doing it these heartfelt emotional testimonies about people being dishonest or people being traumatized by the other faction or whatever it is right this is what the law says this is what the law says that and and even the sunrise report acknowledges that there are various types of midwives in Hawaii and that if you are going to do any sort of regulation it has to be inclusive because it is not it's according to other law in Hawaii vocational law you cannot just recognize and um, regulate one faction that if there is the recognition of various practices and various types of midwives or whatever it is you're trying to regulate, that you cannot benefit just one type. 
And so, and, or even just two, you have to, if they're all recognized, then they all need to be included. And again, now we're talking just simple law. We're not talking about people's emotional feelings or opinions. This is what Hawaii law says. This is what the Sunrise Report acknowledges. Mm -hmm. Right, and yet they've totally created licensure based on one very specific avenue to credentialing, and it's created this issue that the sun that the report was trying to avoid in the first place is uh, unnecessary um, monopolization um, by one credential um, in the home birth community. Which is why it was suspected that they also included CMs, certified midwives, in the law because they were trying to acknowledge, you know, different factions so it didn't look like a monopoly. However, we are, um, I think we mentioned it a couple of years ago, you know, there's, there's like, you know, maybe 100 certified midwives in all the country right now. And that's, you know, gone up a little bit. And the reality is that a certified midwife is more um, aligned with us with a CNM, a nurse midwife, because it is a graduate degree in the science of midwifery. So, you know, nobody really wants to that the nursing board doesn't want to add more people to their thing, but they are more aligned with a certified nurse midwife. In addition, our current law that recognizes CPMs and CMs essentially makes it so CMs can only practice community births, which is not really their specialty. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's true. So we don't have a lot of midwives in general. You don't have a lot of midwives attending home births. And I mean, that's a whole nother nuance, right? It's like there's a couple CNMs throughout the islands that are attending home births, but that's very rare. Um, on Oahu, we don't even have CNMs in the state hospitals, only at the uh, Kaiser or Tripler, which are in one way or another private. And then there's a issue of like okay well there's 28 licensed midwives how wonderful right there's so many there <laughs> the program is such a success it's like oh. it's working it's working yeah. and let's break down those numbers totally right dig in um don't just read the headlines folks <laughs> right so We've done some digging as a community and, you know, there's only so many of us out here. So we all, you know, collectively end up knowing each other one way or another. And there's um, maybe half of these licensed midwives are not currently attending birth. So they have the license, they've paid the state, but only about 14 of them are actually attending home births. So 14 sprinkled throughout all of the islands there's two of those on oahu two i called the um one of the representatives today and pointed out, out to one of their aides and the aides were like what 
he was really taken aback <laughs> like it was funny because talking to the aide like I didn't get much of a response out of him the whole time but then as soon as I said there's only two on Oahu then all of a sudden there was emotion or you know some sort of reaction of like huh well that's surprising um this is where the majority of the population is what's up with that um and then some of the since midwives don't even live here there is that um so there are also some of the licensed midwives don't qualify to be preceptors or if they do qualify to be preceptors they don't take yeah, students um for various reasons and i we won't go into the rumor mill of why that is but you know there's the reality is that of the 14 not all of them qualify as preceptors or will be a preceptor so what happens again to these people who live here are embedded in their community and want to learn and yet there's no one they're allowed to learn from or there's very few that they're allowed to learn from right so yeah. how do we continue to pass on the knowledge if people are unwilling or unable to do so right yep limited teachers um in some places uh i mean yeah like here it's like well some midwives have a lot of births but they can only take on so many students so there's that um so there's a lot of challenges and ultimately house bill 955 is create or is helping to address the challenges that were added to the journey of becoming a midwife by Act 32, right? Um, it just got harder. And if we don't pass this bill, then by July 1st, 2023, then that exemption goes away. So, I mean, in theory, could we try again another year? Sure, in theory, anything's possible, but that would mean having a lapse in time where we're losing providers. When there's already a shortage of doctors, a shortage of midwives, the hospitals are already overwhelmed, and we want to get rid of more options? I, that doesn't add up. <laughs> so, Well, yeah. it's something that has been brought up many times the fact that the practice doesn't go away necessarily but what does end up happening is that it goes underground and you know when we're talking about the health and safety of mothers and babies anybody who cannot actually acknowledge what they are doing doesn't benefit the health and safety of mothers and babies if they have to hide what they're doing when we look at other places that are sort of the gold standard of midwifery care and integration, that's exactly what makes things safer um, in the eyes of the regulatory bodies is the actual recognition and integration of these practices to make it when it is necessary to lean into the medical community, um, we can actually talk instead of 
have, you know, um, secretism or people um, delaying necessary care or transfer uh, um, because for fear of persecution or otherwise. And, you know, that probably that that's already happening. We know this is happening in other states. We're very aware and we look at the rise of the Free Birth Society. We look at the rise of all of these different organizations that are trying to fill a gap because they're not allowed to call themselves this, that, or the other. And so when we have these, um, these silent places, then that creates barriers and those barriers cre can create problems as opposed to um, resolving some of these issues or making it so we can have open communication. Which again is why this house bill is great because it does recognize, not only does it regulate traditional birth attendance, not only does it make the options for licensure and those pathways for licensure wider, but that recognition makes it so people can openly communicate. Now the providers receiving may not like it, but they already don't like it. But to have to be secretive about it is much, much, um, less beneficial than to just acknowledge that it's happening and then make sure that people are getting the care that they need when they need it. Well, you're reminding me of Representative Natalia Hussey-Burdick who introduced the House bill and during one of the House floor votes for the bill, she had some opening comments about this and she shared that she was born at home in Kailua and she so was her brother her younger brother and when they were born it was under the care of a traditional uh, midwife um, someone who would likely fall under the category of a birth attendant at this point um, but that wasn't what it was called then, right? She was a traditional midwife. Um, and at the time, it was illegal in Hawaii for midwives to attend women at home. So this representative was born at home. Her mom had to choose to do something illegal, hire an illegal mid uh, a midwife. who's, um, And she did it. She, she birthed at home. Um, but... The point is that this representative really doesn't want to see Hawaii be in that state again, right? To force families into these positions of having to do something questionable or to the other option is, like you mentioned, the rise of the free birth. You know, there's a lot of reasons that women choose to free birth and I'm in support of it and um, it's just unfortunate when women feel like their only option to birth safely, as in to birth in their full autonomy, is to just birth alone because they don't have access to a provider that they can trust. And that's 
that's what happens a lot of the time. They say, well, like I can't go to the hospital and I can't trust all these um, hyper-medicalized and uh, regulated and licensed providers. <laughs> then fine. There's no one who's culturally appropriate for me. So I will just do it by myself because that's better. And even if that doesn't make sense to some people, it's not about that. The point is that there are many thousands and thousands of women throughout the country and throughout the world that do find themselves in this position, right? And it's not to be, like you said, you think you carefully sort of spoke about this, but for some women, that's what they want and that's what they choose. And other women feel like they have no other choice right. because mm -hmm. of the circumstances, whether it's financial, whether it's because of overregulation um, and uh, and things like that. So it's really important to, you know, there's, there is different reasons why people free birth and, um, but to, for people to feel like they have no other choice versus actively choosing it because it's what's true. That's what we're talking about. The difference of those things. Exactly. To choose it. We'd like to avoid creating a situation in the Hawaiian islands where women are choosing to free birth because they feel like they got no other options. Right. So, so what's the answer then let's preserve diversity. Let's preserve the roots of midwifery. Let's um, preserve options. Right. So in a nutshell, that's what house bill 955 is trying to do. It's two things, preserve the pet pathway, which is another way to access the national credential and have that be an, an approved requirement um, for licensure in Hawaii. And then the second one is to preserve birth attendance, to continue regulating birth attendance as they already are. They're already exempt and they're already regulated. So let's just continue doing the exact same thing with them that's been happening for the past three years. And then to clarify that we're not asking for voluntary licensure. In Hawaii, as it stands, there's only three ways to be a midwife. If you're a CNM, if you're a CM, or if you're a licensed midwife. And hopefully we can just expand the licensed midwife requirement to include the PEP pathway. That's it. That's the way to become a midwife. And then, so that's that. And then we have birth attendants, which are exempt from the licensure, but they have regulations that they have to abide by, right? So it's just not, it's not just willy nilly. Oh, well, I just won't sign up for anything. I'll just go hide and no one's going to know what I'm up to. No, you have to be abiding by those agreed um, standards that are already in the, in the law. So and I just wanted to highlight, too, that even the DCCA in their comments um, when questioned um, that they are prepared to do these things to, to encompass this. They are not in opposition at all, that they recognize also that this is something that 
people really desire. They've been a part of this conversation for nearly a decade and that they have found a way and they feel um, that the way that we have um, been managing it for the past few years is appropriate and that there really haven't been any issues either. So, you know, not to say that issues couldn't arise later on, but they are prepared. They're prepared for that conversation and they are um, in support of, or at least not in opposition uh, to continue the exemption and to expand the pathways to licensure. Right. And when you say issues, like issues, not any more than any issue can come up with any other regulated profession. It's like life is life. Things come up. But DCCA submitted comments in their testimony, but orally supported um, the exemption because they're like, well, it's what they've already been doing. So they are prepared to continue doing what they've already been doing. (laughs) They're like, yes, we can carry on. So awesome. I think we've done this justice. Um, Shall we dive into some calls to action, even though they're ever changing, but I can get this published quickly so it can stay relevant, at least for this week. Yeah, I think we can do that. Absolutely. (laughs) Sorry about my little monkey over here. She's getting noisier and noisier. Oh, she's right. That's the call to action. Thank you. You've got to get noisier. You're so right. Got to be heard, be vocal. This is what it's all about right now. <laughs> I'm not even joking, for real. Our number one priority is getting a uh, schedule, a hearing scheduled with the finance committee. Which, oh yeah, by the way, that's the third committee that yeah. we've made it through. Two committees. We made it through the health committee. We made it through the consumer protection committee. Now we're looking at finance, and guess what? It doesn't cost anything to pass this bill (laughs) so finance should you know if that's what we're really looking at and really talking about there's it doesn't cost any more for us to do to 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 pass this bill um also in addition we have full support from maui county um and we have full support from hawaii county through their um their county councils yep sorry i'm eating breakfast at 1 30 so i'm chewing over here but <laughs> we have support from those counties there will be other county councils um testimonies and hearings coming up later on as well um okay i chewed done and so third committee finance committee we have to get a hearing with them. It's a little, um, it's just taking a lot of effort because pretty much every bill at some point needs to go through there. So they get bombarded with all the bills and they have to make time for as many of them as possible. So we need to make sure that they know that the community cares a lot about this. So it's a lot of work, you know, we're like sending out call to actions all the time, submit testimony and call and all this, but if we get it through this committee, 
then we only have two more committees on the Senate side to get through. And then this is done, at least for a little bit. We were originally asking for a permanent exemption of birth attendance in the CPC committee. No, in the health committee, it got changed to um, all extending the exemption of birth attendance until 2025, which means, you know, we'll have to come back in two years. But very well, at least for two years, we can rest about this. <laughs> so... Well, and also it matches the sunset date of Act 32. So if Act 32 expires, then this will, the exemption will expire with it. So regardless, there is going to be a review of whether Act 32 has made any beneficial impact or negative impact. And so that's why the bill is set to expire <laughs> um and i think that's why the date was moved to that time so it will expire together mm -hmm. yeah right the whole thing has to be reapproached in 2025 so hey you know what that's not so bad i mean it means you know spending more time on it so that part's like wait but, <laughs> but talking about this anytime but soon. exactly we were <laughs> this is life this is all consuming in one way or another this is what it's about it's about the babies the moms the, we this is what we live and breathe in one way or another all the time so right getting that hearing scheduled with the finance committee what do we have to do okay there's kind of a two-part situation here one is the most important part is the chair committee which is kyle yamashita is that correct he is ultimately the, yes, Yamashita, he's the one in charge of scheduling the hearing at the end of the day. There are many members on this committee. It's quite a big committee. Um, so it is important to ultimately contact them as well. Um, however, Kyle Yamashita has a final say of whether we get a hearing or not. Um, so his district includes Maui, Molokai, and Lanai. So... Um, it's particularly significant for constituents of those areas to contact him and let him know why House Bill 955 is important to you, how it may impact you, and to urge him to schedule a hearing for this bill and to support it, okay? That's the message. Via calls, preferably emails are good too. So to call Kyle Yamashita, um, his number is 808. 586-6330. And then his email is repyamashita at capital.hawaii.gov. So we need to stay on top of him every day, honestly. And please do so very respectfully. They are humans. They got a lot to juggle right now. We want them to feel respected because they deserve that. So please be courteous when you call. You know, we we want to work with them. We want them to be our allies. We don't want them to feel like they're somehow the enemy or, you know, let's be nice to them. And let's do so very effectively because there's a deadline coming up on March 2nd, which is when we need to have a hearing scheduled by. Otherwise, the bill dies and we, you know, back to square one for next year. But we can get this done, get a hearing scheduled. 
So that's one way. The other element of this is calling committee members. This is a lot of committee members to tell you about, but um, you know what? If you go to the Hawaii Home Birth Collective Instagram page, you will see a list of the finance committee members that you can call. Um, and part of it is finding out who your district representative is so that you can call them and ask them to be in support of this. So we're keeping it fresh on their minds so that they don't, it doesn't just fall through the cracks because they're looking at so many different bills, they're busy and they got a lot to juggle. We want to make sure they don't forget about us, right? Keep it relevant. Let them know how yeah, important the language it is. matters too, because we want them to understand that we are requesting the continued regulation of the birth attendant as it stands already. And we are asking for expansion of licensure requirements um, or, or access to licensure. So we're, so they don't think again, that a lot of people are looking at this as like this birth attendant is just going to do whatever they want. And it is actually regulated. So, so the language really matters that we are looking for the continued regulation of the birth attendant. And we are looking for the expansion to the ability to acquire licensure here in the state of Hawaii. Boom, drop the mic. <laughs> That's it. You are now officially caught Updated. up on all major updates. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I think this baby has had plenty of time doing a podcast today. Yeah, She's not the whole time. Now. <laughs> Until we conclude, because she does not want to miss out on any of the action. Yeah, she wants to keep enjoying. All right. It's nap time, folks. So we're going to let you go. Um, if you have any questions, again, really the best place to stay up to date is on the Hawaii Home Birth Collective website and Instagram. Um, and don't forget, it's a membership-based community. You know, it's not membership just to make money. Like, we're not even a registry. We're not even doing that. It's just it takes time to run the website and run the emails. And all of it is really just volunteer-based. Like, we don't have money for lobbyists to go in and talk to these people. This is all the moms and midwives and birth attendants and the students and the fathers and the kids and the aunties and the uncles going in making time in their already busy schedules to educate the legislatures and clarify misunderstandings and answer their questions, right? This is all us doing it. So also organizations, for some reason, their voices tend to be heard a lot more when it comes down to decision-making in these bills, more so than just individuals. So that's why, in part, HIHBC was created to help amplify the community voice um, with these shared goals. So if you- Yeah, for so just a little teeny tiny donation of $10, um, you can help support HIHBC.org. Um, you don't even have to live in Hawaii, you know? I mean, we are being looked at around the world for what is happening here right now. 
which is sounds crazy and like we're just making that up but it's actually true other states are waiting in the wings trying to find out what we're doing and how we're gonna do it and you know let's be a beacon of light let's be a beacon of hope and really recognize that this is about choice reproductive rights and choice you don't have to choose it but please don't take away the choice from other people yeah, I got plenty of colleagues in California where they are very far down the rabbit hole of um, credentials and licensing and limited licensing and limited options. And um, they're not happy about it. And a lot of them are posting about what's going on here, saying things like California could learn a thing or two about this bill. Um right? It, it's a historical moment where we can be a shining example of what it means to preserve culture, right? Earlier, I'm not sure if I finished making my point about, <laughs> we kind of did, but about traditional midwifery wisdom and why it may seem like it, there's not a lot of it left. And some people might even say, well, why does this even matter? It's like, are there even that many traditional midwives or birth attendants or like who cares about this right it's like there might not be all that many we might not have hundreds of them but like we said earlier that was very intentional right so let's preserve the few that are left so that we can preserve what we have left and hopefully set the stage for the resurgence right yeah, I mean, there's a reason why I've been invited overseas to support other families where these things have already been erased. They've already been um, criminalized. They've already been put in the category of fear. And, um, and they, too, are trying really hard to revitalize practices and take back... Um, some of the choices that were taken away from them. Um, people are waking up and realizing um, we're, you know, it's not too late. It's not too late. <laughs> exactly. We're at a point in history in Hawaii where it's not too late. So let's make sure we act on it before we get to a point like some of these other places where it really is so far gone that they have to fly people in because there's just no one left in the communities that holds this knowledge anymore because that's that's the pattern. And that's why this is so pressing because we're trying to break that. We're trying to break that. So this is a historical moment. Um, thank you, everyone. It's been a lot of hard work as a community and everyone's chipping in. And it's just, just, just a few more phone calls, a few more emails, and we'll get through. And, and then we'll... Um, just cruise through the rest of the Senate, hopefully. Oh, well, I think that's it for today. You can email us at the woman on fire podcast at gmail.com. That is the plural form of woman because there is more than one of us. And it's not about just us. It's about the collective of women. Um, Although, yeah, it's also more than just the woman. But woman, W-O-M-E-N, the Woman on Fire podcast at gmail.com if you 
have any questions, thoughts, need clarifications, want to join us as a guest. We'd be stoked to hear from you. And well, until next time. Until next time. Ahui ho. Ahui ho. Bye.